Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Mental Health Monday is an informational podcast and should not be used to replace the specialized training and professional judgment of a healthcare or mental health care professional. Mental Health Monday can't be held responsible for the use of the information provided. Please always consult a trained mental health professional before making any decision regarding treatment of yourself or others. Self-help information and podcasts and information on the internet is is useful, but it's not always a substitute for professional assistance. Unless otherwise noted, guests of Mental Health Monday are not doctors or licensed in any way. Our hope is to make a connection with you and be more open and honest about everyone's mental health. Enjoy the podcast. Mental, mental Health, health Monday. Monday! Hey, what's up? I'm Riggs from Riggs and Alley. Uh, mornings in Milwaukee on 103.7 KISS FM. Welcome to another Mental Health Monday. This week, it's all about food, but not in a good way, really, because eating disorders are a serious thing. We've all heard the phrase, eating your feelings. And, you know, every once in a while, when you get bummed out, a breakup, maybe you're just lazy for the day and you want to just eat a whole rack of ribs or a whole bag of Cheetos. Once in a while, whatever. It's when it turns into a serious mental illness that you need to talk about getting help. When you start obsessing over the food, you start obsessing over your body, it starts to become something that affects your life at home, at work. When it starts to consume your life, that's when it can become an eating disorder. You think about depression, anxiety, even obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar disorder. Those are the types of things, I mean, that I normally think of when I think of a mental illness. You don't normally think of an eating disorder as a mental illness, but it is. So this week we talked to Dr. Nicholas Farrell with Rogers Behavioral Health, who is an expert, knows quite a bit about eating disorders, and eating disorders can affect men just as much as they can affect women. We'll jump into the stigmas, the causes, and what exactly an eating disorder is all this week on a brand new episode of Mental Health Monday. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nicholas Farrell. So first question to you, I guess, is how did you get started dealing with eating disorders? Well, um, I... My, my first kind of clinical passion uh, was working with individuals with anxiety disorders. Okay. And um, one thing that really fascinated me is the high degree of overlap between anxiety disorders and eating disorders. So individuals who struggle with both conditions kind of struggle with the same set of key factors. Right. Um, and so to put it simply, treating an eating disorder is actually similar to what treating an anxiety disorder is like. So okay. my interest in anxiety disorders, you know, just kind of naturally extended them to treating individuals with those conditions. Now, because obviously everybody eats, you got to eat for fuel. Yep. So it's something that could impact, I guess, anybody. Sure. Men, women. Does it lean one way or the other between men or women? We do see um, higher rates of women being diagnosed with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Um, However, you know, kind of far from, I think, what's been a stereotype for decades now that eating disorders are, you know, exclusively disorders that we see in females, we're seeing uh, 
eating disorders being diagnosed at increasing rates uh, in, with males. Um, it's now estimated that about one in three individuals who meets diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder is male, uh, which is, you know, really coming a long way when right. it was only about 20 years ago that in large part we thought, well, you know, it's it's all but impossible for a male to have an eating disorder. Well, it's, it was always associated with females and the the modeling industry sure. was big. You thought, oh, she's a model, she eats, she goes and throws up, that type of thing. Absolutely. And a big part of it, you know, with the emphasis on body image mm -hmm. uh, in eating disorders. What we you know, knew for decades was that individuals who struggle with eating disorders, many of them were trying desperately to kind of you know, conform to a, a very thin, slender ideal. And that's when the modeling side yeah, of it exactly, came from. Exactly, exactly. But with males, you know, it's not always the emphasis on you know, extreme thinness, more so you know, a lean, athletic, kind of muscular physique. Right. And you so, want to be, you want to look like Thor, you want to look like Chris Hemsworth, those guys. Exactly. On, right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, now, what are some of the signs that somebody could have an eating disorder? Um, kind of pre-existing traits or variables that we see okay. is you know, a, a really high degree of emphasis and valuation placed on body image is mm -hmm. kind of a marker of social status or even just kind of, you know, worth to society. Mm -hmm. um, that, that we know to be kind of one of the core features that's central to eating disorders. And we see it, you know, e even kind of prior to diagnosis at high rates in individuals from a pretty young age. Can it start from dieting as well? Because a, a lot of people get into diets and fads. The Atkins diet was a big one for a while. Sure. You people bet. like to say, I'm cutting out dairy, I'm cutting out carbs. So how does that come into a discussion with eating disorders? I mean, when does it, when does it become an eating disorder? And sure. when is it just being a healthy lifestyle? Well, dieting plays a, a really crucial role in the development of many eating disorders. You uh -huh. know, I think you'd be surprised by all the stories I could tell you about how many people's severe eating disorder began very innocently with just, you know, wanting to lose a few pounds here or there or just sure. do the general things that I'm assuming a lot of people do in right. terms of wanting to eat healthier, exercise more, that kind of thing. So, eat raw, organic. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, but, you know, what happens in a subset of these folks who, you know, begin dieting with the intentions of maybe just, you know, losing a few pounds, um, being more flexible or in increasing strength or something like that is... Uh, it, it, it's kind of this slippery slope where it progresses into something that's more rigid and inflexible and eventually something the individual feels powerless to you know, exert any control over trying to reverse. So is it, is it better to have more of a lifestyle of eating rather than sticking to a certain regimen of a diet? Yeah, I, th I think so. And I, I think that you know the way people can make sure they stay clear of an eating disorder is um, just to, to trust their body's cues in terms of eating, you know, when we're sure. hungry and stopping when we're full. Mm -hmm. um, put simply, our body's cues are not going to lead us astray. They're, you know, they they're serve kind of a very important biological and evolutionary function for us. Let's talk about the different types of eating disorders. Mm -hmm. I know there's, I think, I've, the ones that I was in my research, you're the expert. I saw, I think, three or four different ones. Okay. Uh, I think one was anorexia nervosa, yes. bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, and mm -hmm. other specified eating disorders. Is it safe to say those are the four main categories of eating disorders? Those are the four main categories. One that's um, left off that list is a newer eating disorder diagnosis known as avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, what we call ARFID for short. Okay. Um, which is, again, a newer eating disorder diagnosis where we see extreme avoidance of eating that on the surface looks 
not very different from kind of classic anorexic okay. avoidance of eating, and yet the 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 motivation that's fueling the avoidance of eating for these folks is not necessarily concerns about body shape or size, but more kind of global concerns about feared consequences of eating. So I worry if I eat, it's going to cause you know uncontrollable spells of vomiting, or I might you know unexpectedly choke on food or something like that. And so there's a lot of kind of extreme avoidance of food arounding either feared consequences or also pretty pronounced um, kind of aversions to the sensory characteristics of food. So you can think of it as like extreme forms of picky eating or even having you know, a lot of aversion to the, the texture, the touch of certain foods. Would that too. be people separating food and not letting food touch? Yeah, that, that, that sort of, that sort of thing. thing. But I mean, again, you know, uh, some of that we're bound to see at pretty normative rates just in the general population. Right. Some people, I don't like my mashed potatoes to touch my carrots. Exactly. And that can exactly. be an okay thing. It's not an eating disorder. It's just a preference. Exactly. It's what it become, you're saying it wouldn't become something that starts to become a mental, almost uh, an obsessive, almost OCD, would right, you say? Right, right, Well, I mean, you know, we, I, I don't want to underscore the you know, severity. of These are very, very serious sure. psychiatric illnesses. Absolutely. However, it's defensible to think about them as exacerbations of normal behavior. Okay. You know, who hasn't made a choice at a restaurant based on food preferences? And oh, I don't like green, so I'm not going to order anything green or something like that. Mm-hmm. Normative. When taken to excess can cause, you know, significant problems in a person's day-to-day functioning. So anorexia versus bulimia, mm-hmm. what are the two, what's the difference between those two? Those are the two, I guess, most commonly known eating yeah. disorders. So in anorexia, we see the hallmark feature is, uh, you know, restraint in one's dietary intake. And in many, many cases, what that leads to is significantly lowered body weight. Mm-hmm. So you could think of it as being really unhealthy, extreme dieting. Not a lot of muscle. It's very Right, right, low. right. Exactly. And um, there's often a, a very pronounced... You, you mentioned OCD earlier. There's a mm-hmm. very pronounced obsession or a need to be thin or need to have, you know, kind of minimal body fat or something like that. Okay. Um, bulimia nervosa looks very different in the sense that the hallmark features are binge eating, uh, combined with what we call compensatory behaviors. I'll come back to those in a second. But okay. what I really want to spell out is actually what they share in common more than what differentiates them. You could think of anorexia and bulimia as being different sides of the same coin okay. in the sense that both are fueled by really extreme, you could say, over overvaluing the importance of weight, size, and shape and kind of defining one's self-concept. So. Okay. You know, from from a broad point of view, we don't look at anorexia and bulimia and even binge eating disorder as being that diagnostically distinct from one another. Um, Getting back to kind of the key features, though, of bulimia nervosa, so we're talking about binge eating, which we think of as within a pretty discreet period of time, about an hour or so, a person consuming a quantity of food that most of us would look at and say, objectively, that's that's abnormally large. And this is doing this on a regular basis, not just one night of wings, one night of just eating your face off. <laughs> right, right, right. Some and people talk about of... <laughs> eating their feelings. Sure, you sure, talk sure. About that. And this um, different from those kind of situations uh-huh. where it might be more of a planned, you know, sure. episode of overeating, like I'm going to go tear up some wings or something like that. This is something that comes on kind of outside the individual's expectation or control. Okay. So oftentimes these situations seemingly come on out of the blue. And we were talking about the connection between anorexia and bulimia earlier. There's another critical link. What fuels that binge eating okay. in most cases is often the, the, the rigid patterns of dietary restraint. Mm-hmm. And through a person trying so desperately to not eat 
they lose control. That control breaks down and they succumb to, you know, overeating episodes. Right. And then to come back to the other kind of component of bulimia, the bi- um, excuse me, the, the compensatory behaviors, that's when we see some behavioral action, you know, used to try to compensate for the binge eating. So the individual might, you know, self-induce vomiting, uh, maybe, you know, um, do compensatory exercise. Okay, I just ate too much, so I got to spend an extra hour on the treadmill tonight or something like that. Um, you know, cutting cutting eating out altogether for 24 to 48 hours going on prolonged dietary fast that sort of thing but you know different behaviors all have the same function i have to compensate for the calories i took in from the binge episode right yeah where does that uh how do you draw a line then when because most people would say when you're training or just working out generally yep when how do i decide when do i know that's an issue yeah, does, does that come when it's when it becomes the body issue? When it becomes the internal, almost mental? Well, the, the, I think the really telltale sign is when the features or the symptoms start to cause, you know, significant disruptions with that person's yeah. ability to function. I mean, who who hasn't dieted here? And sure. There? Who hasn't you know looked in the mirror and said, "Boy, I bet I'd be happier if I lost ten pounds or something like right. that." Right. And yet, some experience of that, you know, to kind of a mild or moderate extent is normative. Sure. When those features become obsessions and start to dominate our life, I can't focus at work because all I'm thinking about is the next time I have to eat. Right. You brought up a very good example. It, it's, you know, so uncomfortable for me to be at the dinner table with my family that I don't do family meals anymore. That's when, you know, these these tendencies really start to get in the way of how the person wants to live their life. And can other mental illnesses kind of piggyback on top of this eating disorder as well, coming with the anxiety and obsessive-compulsive disorder like you, you touched on earlier? Very it sounds so. like it, it's a big ball of yarn of kind of mental illness going on up there Absolutely. with eating disorder and anxiety. When we have co-occurring conditions, that you know, diagnoses that go along with eating disorders, unfortunately in our field that is the expectation, not the exception. Right. Um, it is actually quite rare in my practice to treat someone with an eating disorder and only an eating disorder those folks are are a unicorn in my opinion we never see them um we often see co-occurring uh anxiety disorders obsessive compulsive disorder being a very common one uh depression as well Um, our, our best current estimates unfortunately suggest that um amongst individuals who struggle with an eating disorder there's about a seven in ten chance that at some point throughout that person's lifespan, they're going to deal with about a major depression as well. What is the treatment for an eating disorder? Once someone realizes, whoa, this might be me, I don't reach out. I'm going to reach out to somebody. What's the process like for that person that getting treatment for an eating disorder? In most cases, that individual's first stop is going to be with their primary care physician. Okay. Um, just to kind of get some input on the medical side of things because, you know, one thing we haven't spoken about is but the, the substantial medical complications that come along with starvation with repeated self-induced vomiting a lot of the key features of eating disorders really unfortunately lend themselves to a lot of medical problems Uh so you know uh contact with a medical professional is often a good first step um a primary care physician with them refer them to somebody like you or one of your people yeah something like that Or, or you know somebody ideally who um has some specialization with eating disorders i say that because there are several kind of um, treatment interventions or strategies that have shown in scientific study to be effective in the treatment of eating disorders. Um, One of those, and we use this uh, in our programs at Rogers, is known as cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. Okay. Um, Major thing that we're doing in that therapeutic modality is helping people to identify uh, behavioral tendencies and thinking patterns that um, might feel helpful 
but also serve to fuel and maintain the eating disorder. So we're looking to identify what those unhelpful behaviors and think, uh, thinking styles are, okay. and then helping the individual to replace those with healthier, more adaptive behaviors and thinking tendencies. Do you think men are more reluctant to admit to an eating disorder than a woman, than women? Absolutely. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, when we're talking about males in the context of eating disorders, there's kind of a, a double stigma going on here. First of all, sure. there's just the general stigma of men, you know, not, you know, being shy to come forward with any kind of mental health struggle that they're going through. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, when we think of eating disorders, I think for a lot of guys, you know, when we consider common stereotypes, that's about the last problem that you want to admit to having. Maybe sure. it's more manly to say that you're struggling with, you know, a little substance abuse or something like sure. that. But an eating disorder, something that we have construed for decades as being primarily female disorders, mm-hmm. well, you're, you're basically, you know, handing over your man card or something like that. Not, not that I agree with that statement, but no. I think that's unfortunately just how a lot of guys see it. Sure, that's the stigma around it. Right, the guys right, have. right, right. And mm-hmm. the, the fact of the matter is that guys, as you mentioned earlier, very in the early beginning of our conversation, that men are part of the bigger half of the eating disorders. Sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Sure. I would hope that somebody listening could actually reach out and get some help to somebody like you or anybody at Rogers because you guys are great. Or just talk to your doctor, anybody. Absolutely. Um, Thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks again to our guest this week, Dr. Nicholas Farrell from Rogers Behavioral Health. Rogers has been amazing in giving me some pretty awesome guests that know what they're talking about so we can actually talk to some doctors instead of just dudes. You know, both are good. Talking stories is good and getting information is good. So if you think you need help, if you think you maybe know somebody that needs help with an eating disorder or anything, have them reach out for help or ask them if they need help. Don't assume that someone else has talked to them. The earlier a person receives treatment, the greater the likelihood of full recovery, as with any mental illness or anything in general. Thanks for checking out another episode of Mental Health Monday. You enjoy the rest of your day, your night, your weekend, your morning, whatever you're doing. And remember, make good life decisions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.